0: Hello everyone, I'm Michelle, a kindy teacher at Upland's Kindergarten in Auckland. We're uploading stories, songs and activities to the children at our kindergarten every morning. Stay home and stay safe everyone. Thanks for doing your bit to keep New Zealand kids engaged, Michelle. You'll be pleased to know that more help from the Government is on its way. I'm Indera Stewart and welcome to the RNZ Coronavirus Podcast – Remember, if you want to send in a message to the podcast, download our RNZ Vox Pop app. It's free and easy to use. Later, we'll hear from an economist about what life after lockdown might look like for our business sector. But first, to the headlines. Term two is starting next Wednesday, and it's going to be a lot different to what school students are used to. All students now must study at home as we continue with the lockdown and the Education Minister, Chris Hipkins, has announced the government's plan to help with that. It's a tricky situation when it comes to online distance learning. There are about 100,000 kids in New Zealand who don't have access to the internet. The Ministry of Education is now working to connect more students to the internet and get more devices out to those who don't have one. About 17,000 devices are on order, waiting to be shipped. Chris Hipkins has detailed a package of support for students' distance learning, which includes increasing access to the internet and a device, as well as hard-copy learning packs
1: for different year levels of schooling. So what can kids expect to get? In an early learning setting, uh, an early childhood education, uh, there is a pack of materials for your parents, uh, which includes a whole lot of activities. Um, In this case there is a hard jigsaw puzzle, um, a variety of well-known stories um, that will be familiar to uh, many New Zealand families, including um, one of my favourites, the Little Yellow Digger, you will find uh, in there. Um, There are some uh, pavement chalks um, for, for activities. Uh, some felt tip pens, some crayons, uh, a glue stick, um, some fabric uh, which goes with the activities, some uh, coloured cardboard and uh, regular uh, drawing paper.
0: For the internet and devices, Chris Hipkins said the ministry's initial focus will be on connecting students in senior secondary school working towards NCEA and those with the greatest need due to disadvantage. So it's going to take some time. In addition to that
1: support... The Ministry is launching two new educational TV channels. One will be in English and the other will be in Māori. And we are working uh, to ensure that we're also providing content for Pacifica and other communities. Uh, They will start on the 15th of April and at least a month at this stage, but we have the ability to extend that if we need to. We expect around six and a half hours of content uh, will be broadcast every day. Uh, At different times of the day, different age groups will be targeted. There'll be material for early learners, uh, for schools, uh, which will include things like wellbeing, numeracy, literacy, science, movement, uh, music and physical education. Uh, And over time, we uh, hope to be able to supply adult learning content too if we need to. There will be advice and guidance uh, broadcast for parents um, to give them ideas and uh, inspiration as to how they can support uh, the learning that's taking place in the home.
0: The government is also looking to provide more resources for kids with extra learning needs. Chris Hipkins says all of this has cost nearly $88 million so far and he expects that more funding is likely. He points out that coming
1: out of Level 4 doesn't necessarily mean that everyone will go back to school. So we're working through all of the different scenarios around how you would uh, reopen the education system um, and uh, under what circumstances some parts of that system may stay closed. Um, So hence we're we're doing all the work we need to do to support learning from home uh, for as long as we need to support it. In other
0: news, we've had the lowest number of new cases in two weeks, There were only 50 yesterday, 26 confirmed and 24 probable cases. We've also had the highest number of tests completed in a day, 4,098 to be exact. Director of General Health Ashley Bloomfield says he's heard reports about long wait times to get COVID-19 test results back. He says usually those are tests that are negative.
1: What I can do is assure both practitioners and people waiting for results, that if the test result is positive, they will be notified immediately. The aim is to process all the, all the swabs within a 24-hour period and then report the results from there. And then everybody should be notified within the next 24 hours. Uh, and of course our aim would be, and where I've had specific examples, including one this morning, I've contacted the DHB chief executive to, to follow up on how they could get the results out just as quickly to um, to the GPs to make sure they can notify patients because people will be waiting and they will be anxious while they wait.
0: And Easter is around the corner, but lockdown rules still apply. Essential travel only, which doesn't include a sneaky dash to your batch or water activities at the beach. The police have continued to receive a huge number of reports for breaches, about 37,000 so far. Civil Defence Director Sarah Stewart-Black is asking New Zealanders not to be tempted into an Easter getaway. We've done so well. We're two weeks in. We're doing amazingly well. And it's holding, holding that commitment to let's see this through because the action that every single person takes will now make that difference in getting through the rest of the lockdown. So we know it's disruptive for people. We know Easter is a time when lots of people go away. But please, we're asking you just to stay home. Help us. Help us get through this and really make a difference. Meanwhile, business leaders are calling for a rethink of what is deemed as an essential business. Speaking to the Epidemic Response Committee, former Business New Zealand Chief Executive Phil O'Reilly says if companies can comply with good public health practices, then they should be able to operate. He says the decision on butchers and bakeries offering online services is a step in the right direction. But there is still a lot of confusion.
2: We should all learn the lesson
1: from that confusion and be much clearer about what can and cannot be done
2: as we move eventually into a Level 3 situation or Level 2 from Level 4, whenever that might happen. That lack of clarity is one of the biggest issues that businesses have been talking to me about in the last few days.
0: The Prime Minister Jacinda Adun says the government is still working through what will be allowed to open at Level 3. But she says there are important actions for businesses to take now. Our new normal is going to be an environment where we need everyone to be able to help us with contact tracing. So if you think about your business having now, basically, new health and safety needs. So think about every person coming through the door. If you need to, would you be able to find every person that came through the door on any given day? Um, Would you be able to look at who's had contact with different parts of your supply chain? Uh, This is the kind of information and preparation we need businesses to do um, because it will be critical. Equally for your workforce, what measures have you got in place so that people can use appropriate social distancing? And have you looked at the PPE guidelines for your area of work and think about what protective equipment may or may not be needed in your line of work? Many of us are thinking about what life after Level 4 lockdown might look like. The spotlight is on how to get our economy back up and running. I ask economist Cameron Bagri about what industries are going to suffer the most.
2: Well, the obvious one is international tourism. You know, we've, we've put up the borders. People are not coming in. You know, you've got a $17 billion industry that is effectively going to go to zero over the coming 12 months. Yeah, we just need to look at the announcements that are coming out of Air New Zealand in regard to the right sizing or the, the structural changes that's going on across that To Get a bit of an idea in regard to what's going on across tourism. How do you think the industry will recover from this? What would you recommend going forward? I think the tourism sector is facing a very long, drawn-out path to recovery. So even if New Zealand gets on top of this thing, it's hard to envisage that the borders are going to come back down and we're going to let people sort of float in and out like before. The tourism sector internationally took a big pit 2009, 2010, 2011. It wasn't until 2015 that it got back to 2008 levels. The global financial crisis is looking like a walk in the park compared to what the tourism sector is, is facing at the moment. You know, what is going to take place? Well, obviously, we're going to see a lot more focus on the domestic traveller. The sector is going to need to pivot, focus a lot more locally as opposed to internationally. Is that domestic tourism dollar going to be available in the near term? I think the answer is no. People are winding down their discretionary cash. You know, they're eating into their savings pools. They're burning their leave balances. Now, so I don't think the domestic traveller is going to be the saviour for the next sort of 12 months. Yes, we bring an awful lot of international tourists into New Zealand, but there's an awful lot of international tourism that New Zealand also does. That international spending that we used to do will get redirected into the local tourism market over time.
0: If we're going to see the growth of the domestic tourism industry, is there also room perhaps to innovate um, in some areas of the tourism industry as a whole to try and uh, pick things up a
2: bit. Now that's a really good word that you've used, innovation. Yeah, because it doesn't matter whether we look at your know, tourism or retailing or any sector across the economy, irrespective of COVID-19 or the shock that we are going through at the moment, disruption was coming down the pipeline on many levels. Yeah, change was, was the new normal. You know, what we are experiencing at the moment in the form of massive disruption in regard to what the world is gonna be like after COVID-19. If I think about the New Zealand economy, the world still needs to eat. Yeah, but we're gonna to need to replace the growth we need to get out of the, the international tourism market. Yeah, we've gotta shake the tree on a whole lot of levels across New Zealand. Either that, or we're gonna take a massive hit to our living standards because it looks like the unemployment rate is going up to double-digit levels. Yeah, so we're gonna need a a ruthless obsession on the other side of this with with driving growth, picking up productivity growth, and at the epicentre of that is gonna be innovation.
0: What are some industries that we will probably see potential growth during this time, and why?
2: Obviously, this sort of stuff is gonna turbocharge the the digital economy. It's gonna turbocharge some of the investment we need to see in in the healthcare sector just in case we see a bit of a, a revisit. The backbone in New Zealand is still the farmers, and the farmers have felt yeah, pretty beaten up over the past yeah, couple of years. Well, yeah, some of the government's ideology in regards to their treatment of the farmers need part because we are going to need the farmers going forward, and yeah, the world needs food, the world needs to, needs to eat. Yeah, that said, we need to redesign what we're putting on the table. There needs to be a stronger value-added component. We've been in what's called a globalised world for a long time. Globalisation has been all about outsourcing. You're getting stuff from ashore. China's been the world's biggest factory, and that factory supplies inputs into other factories around the globe. Well, that, that factory's had a few problems over the past three to four months, and it just highlights that if you outsource, then you've got supply chain risk. You know, I think they've got the potential here to see the rebirth in some shape or form with New Zealand's manufacturing capability, because any board CEO that's got supply chain risk is now going to start to think about, well, maybe we need to have some onshore manufacturing capability to make sure that we can mitigate supply chain risk. We're going to have to be cost competitive in some shape or form, or at least not massively uncompetitive compared to a globalised sort of model. Thankfully, robotics, technology, that sort of stuff removes one of the biggest impediments to that, which is which is labour costs. But we're going to have to start thinking a lot more strategically about some sectors that can drive a lot more growth and maybe we see the rebirth of manufacturing. Do you think there's a lesson here to be
0: learned about perhaps how dependent we were on export and how, well, the lack of diversity um, in export as well? Because China obviously was our biggest trade partner, then Australia.
2: There is a big lesson here in regard to both diversification, not just in regard to stuff going out, because we are massively dependent upon the, the Chinese market, but also in regard to stuff coming in. You know, so, so we bring in about $13 billion worth of goods every year from China, where China has just been at the epicenter of manufacturing. You know, everything has been globalized, outsourced to China. Around the globe, when we got the first round of COVID nineteen, yeah, you know, that knocked that supply chain for six into disarray, and yeah, you know, global shipping just became yeah you know, really difficult in regard to getting goods in, and you know, getting goods out. One of the lessons of what we're going through at the moment: diversification, balancing risk, and we need to think about that not just in regard to goods going out, but in regard to sourcing goods coming in.
0: How is New Zealand placed compared to overseas financial markets? Do you think New Zealand will take longer to bounce back?
2: Look, every country around the globe is going to go through a pretty deep and protracted economic downturn. New Zealand is, is far better placed than a lot of others. You know, being geographically disadvantaged this time around is actually one hell of an advantage. Having water around us and being a long way away from other countries means we can control this thing a lot better than other geographies. Yeah, particularly in the likes of Europe, people are going to be popping across borders because, well, there are no borders. Secondly, look, New Zealand provides food on the global stage. Yes, we've seen global commodity prices in regard to food has taken a bit of a hit, but if I ever look at them in regard to levels, the levels still look reasonably OK, so there's going to be a bit of a call to arms here in regard to supporting the farmers. Thirdly, New Zealand had ammunition in the Chamber. You know, the, the Reserve Bank had a couple of bullets they could fire in regard to taking interest rates down a little bit lower. Government debt levels are really low. The starting position was around 19% of GDP. So what we are doing at the moment is that the Minister of Finance is is writing out some big checks. And one of the reasons he's writing out some big checks is because we've got the capacity to write them out. It means we're going to end up with a big, big central government debt burden and they coming 12 to 24 months like we've never seen before because we are leaning on the central government balance sheet. It's the right policy response. We've got a big balance sheet. They're supporting households. They're supporting businesses. You know, the other side is at some stage, there's going to be a generation of taxpayers. We've got to, make, got to pay the money back. Now, the final thing is that, look, New Zealand headed into this sort of thing with a bit of a breeze at its back. You know, the New Zealand economy is, was performing pretty well. We're still going to take one hell of an economic knock but it's far better to be heading into economic turbulence or you know, tornado or whatever you like the sort of quarter you know, with positive momentum.
0: The next few months will be tough for a lot of people as businesses try to get back on their feet. So stay kind, New Zealand. For now though, here at the RNZ Coronavirus Podcast, we wish you a happy staycation this Easter. Kia homaru kia kaha, mā te wā. The Coronavirus Podcast is presented by me, Indira Stewart. It's produced by William Ray, Jesse Chang and Sonia Sly. Our sound engineer is Adrian Holley. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. You can subscribe to the Coronavirus Podcast anywhere and it's free. Just go to the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz.